you've just been reminded that we're in a series that we're calling I Believe. And in this series, we're looking at things that the Bible clearly and regularly teaches. So we're not examining lots of rabbit trails. We're looking at the main things. We're also looking at things that Christians have believed through the centuries and across denominational lines. What are the absolutes that Christians have always believed and believe all over the world today? Well, this morning, we come to the topic that maybe brings the others in, into our lives in a most definite way. So far, we've talked about God. We've talked about the Bible, sin. We did a little mini-series on Jesus, who he is and what he came to do. But this morning, we're going to talk about the benefit that that brings to us. What does all of God's work bring to us? So this isn't just good news. This is the great and awesome news of salvation. Now we're going to do that by looking at one sentence. So don't get too excited. Get excited. It's a long sentence, all right? But take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read maybe the longest sentence you've ever read. Actually, in English, it's many sentences, but originally, when Paul wrote this, it was one long sentence. It's complicated with lots of details. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the details. We're going to kind of mention the broad strokes of what Paul mentions concerning salvation. So follow along as I read Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now that's really complicated. That's really dense. Let me give you a couple of hooks to kind of hang the ideas on. If you think back at that sentence or read it more carefully this afternoon, you'll discover that there's a father section, a son section, and a spirit section. And Paul says that we get two things from each member of the Trinity. So he says from the father, we get chosen and adopted. From the son, we get redeemed and the forgiveness of our sins. And from the spirit, we're sealed and we're given a promise, a guarantee that all of the promises will be fulfilled. 
Now, we don't have time this morning to tease out all six of those things. We're going to kind of fly over the terrain a little bit. But I want you to notice as we begin that as we're going to fly over the terrain of one sentence, Paul is actually flying over the terrain of salvation. Let me explain it this way. You ever uh, go online to find a place where you're meeting for dinner? Or you're meeting at some place, and usually now, you type in the web address for the place you're going to visit, and there's a little map there. So if you're looking for Fogo in King of Prussia, you get a map that looks something like this. Not the cat rescue system. See, they mess with my slides. <laughs> it should say Fogo de Chow, not cat rescue center, all right? Well, anyway, if you're looking for Fogo or the cat rescue center, and you click on the Google map attached at the website, you see something like this. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that particular area, that map doesn't help you at all. I don't know where Village Drive is, Bryce Lane, Town Square, Main Street. There are a billion Main Streets in the world. That map doesn't help me at all. What do you do if you see a map that doesn't help you on the website of a place you're meeting for dinner or to adopt a cat? You click on the little minus sign a couple of times, and then you get an overview of the area. And so if I have to show up at a place and I look at the map and it's too detailed and I don't know anywhere around there, if you click on the minus sign, eventually you'll see some roads that you recognize. So I know the Schuylkill Expressway. I know 202. I know 422. I know how to get to the turnpike. And so with a few clicks of the minus sign, you kind of step back from the details and you can see what's going on. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, is kind of like Paul hitting the minus sign a few times as he pans back and gives us a panoramic view of salvation. We're only going to fly over his panoramic view at 50,000 feet as well. Paul begins the sentence by telling us what the whole sentence is about and what salvation's about. He says it this way in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Think about that. Every spiritual blessing. None are left out. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. So we're going to look at just a few, three to be exact, three benefits that we receive because of Christ's mission and the Father's gift to us. The first benefit appears early in the sentence. It's the benefit of adoption. So here's how Paul says it. He predestined us, those that are in Christ, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Adoption. Now I'm not sure if you've adopted a child. Um, some of you in the room may have been adopted. You probably know somebody uh, that was adopted or a family that adopted someone. Well, a family in our church just recently had their family expanded through adoption. Let me introduce you to the Dursteins. There's Kara and Nate Durstein. Their two children, Avery and Sawyer. And the new addition, right in the middle of the picture, is Tegan. Tegan was adopted by the Dursteins a couple of weeks ago. Tegan was born in China, and the Dursteins went over, went to the orphanage, and brought Tegan home with them. I talked to Kara this week on the phone a couple of times, 
and learned a little bit about Tegan and a little bit about what adoption means. So let me just rehearse with you a couple of things that are now true in Tegan's life that were not true a month ago. Tegan now has access to all the Durstein stuff. Tegan's about 18 months old. Tegan, if she's not running around already, she'll soon be running around. She can open the refrigerator and takes out what, take out whatever she wants as long as Kara says it's okay. Tegan can go into the bedrooms, anyone. She can open the drawers, maybe have a little fight with her brother and sister. But Tegan has access to the family. And here's something interesting. Tegan will also this year celebrate Thanksgiving and Christmas with extended families. She'll spend Thanksgiving and Christmas with the Dursteins, with the Ketterers, and with the Clemens. A month ago, Tegan had no such pros prospects and no such access. Tegan also has intimacy. This afternoon, as Nate's watching the Eagles game, Tegan can climb right up onto his lap, look him in the face, and distract him. You can't do that. Now, maybe uh, Nate's going to want to be distracted if things go the way I think they're going to go. But anyway, we'll... Tegan can also uh, run down the hall and climb into bed in between Nate and Kara early in the morning, right into their bed. You can't do that. You see, Tegan has an intimacy with the Dursteins that you and I don't have because we're not in their family. Oh, yeah, Tegan also has security. You know, Tegan's existence a few weeks ago, was precarious at best. Tegan was in need of some medical attention. She needs a couple of surgeries. And when I was talking to Kara, Kara said that the girls in the, in the, in the um, orphanage, if they're not adopted by the age of 10, they're just let go. They go and do whatever. Tegan now has security. Appointments have been made for surgeries. Doctors have been visited. And Tegan doesn't have to worry about where her next meal is coming from. She doesn't have to worry about going to school. She has none of those worries at all. Six weeks ago, she would have had a lot of worries if she was a little older and understood her situation. Oh, yeah, Tegan also now has an awesome inheritance because Nate and Kara are filthy rich. <laughs> well, that's not true. But here's what I do know. One day Tegan will inherit the same amount that Avery and Sawyer inherit. Because Tegan is a daughter of Nate and Kara. An awesome inheritance. And one other thing. Tegan has a new identity. Her first name may be Tegan, but her last name is now Durstein. It wasn't Durstein a month ago. That's incredible, isn't it? And here's my guess. As Tegan grows and experiences, she grows into all those benefits, right? As an 18-month-old, she doesn't understand all that yet. She'll grow, and as she grows, she'll understand more and more about all those benefits that are hers. And as she grows into the benefits, her allegiance to the family will grow when she experiences all that she has, and she didn't earn or deserve any of it. So what do you think Paul means when he says that in Jesus we're adopted? 
Well, friends, it at least means that we now have access and we have intimacy and we have security and we have an awesome inheritance. And as we grow into those benefits and learn more and more about them, the right response is allegiance and faithfulness and love for all that God has given us as undeserving as we are. Paul kind of knew what he was doing when he said, in Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God. Now, here's something you may not have known. In the ancient world, adults were often adopted, not babies. You know, we're used to babies being adopted. But in the ancient world, particularly, particularly in the ancient Jewish world, there were other structures set up to take care of children that lost their parents. Well, what in the world's going on when it talks about adoption? In the ancient world, often adults were adopted. Why were they adopted? Because families also functioned as little businesses, right? If you had a piece of land, your family, you know, you kind of produced or reproduced your workforce. Well, if you didn't have any heirs, your whole family business was going to be gone out of existence. So often adults were adopted as kind of a succession plan. In our world, succession is planned by finding the right manager, the right CEO, the right board chairman to take over after those in those positions leave. But in the ancient world, everything was done by families. And if there was no competent heir or if there was no heir at all, what was the family leader to do? The family would adopt an adult. The father would adopt someone that he thought was competent and qualified, and he would adopt the adult into the family. The family would be given all, or that adopted son would be given all the benefits that a child in our world get, and that person would then have gone on and run the family business. We've been adopted into God's family. We continue what Jesus started. We're, we're not to be entrepreneurs in the sense that we go out and do whatever the heck we want. We're to be engaged in the mission of Jesus, continuing what he started, being creative in how we do it, putting our skills and talents and gifts and time and energy into play in lots of different ways. But the goal remains the same, continuing what Jesus started because we've been adopted into his family. So that's kind of the first picture. Paul mentions another benefit, totally different, and that is redemption. In him, we have redemption. Now, redemption is kind of a, an old word. Uh, you probably don't use that word a whole lot. What does the word redemption mean? Well, the word means to buy back, to repurchase, to free from captivity by payment of a ransom. About a year and a half ago, I was uh, leading a little tour in Philadelphia. And so I parked what seemed like a very good parking spot right in a strip mall in South Philly, South Philly, right on Washington Avenue. And uh, I, we get out of the car and I'm showing these other kind of pastors and teachers around. I come back about an hour and a half later and my car is gone. It wasn't funny. It wasn't funny. <laughs> well, immediately I thought my car was stolen, right? Then I'm thinking it's broad daylight. All these people around, the stores in the strip mall are packed. So I went to the paint store, which was right beside of where I parked, and said, do you happen to see a white car? Oh, yeah, we saw that white car as it was being towed out of the parking lot. I said, didn't you stop him? We didn't know who you were, where you went. You weren't in here. He came in and said, anybody own a white car? Said, well, you, nobody said yes, so he took the car. 
I said, well, where do you think it went? He said, well, you parked right under a no parking sign that actually says Lou, Blow t- Lou Blum Tumming, Towing, and it has their phone number. And that's where I met the fine folks of Lou Blow Blum Tumming. Lou Blum is not located in South Philadelphia. Lou took my car to 40th and Girard from South Philly. So I had to take a cab from Washington Avenue in South Philly all the way to 40th and Girard to retrieve my car from Lou Blum Towing. I go into what felt like a federal prison. I mean, they've got that, you know, star plate, whatever, that steel stuff on the walls, on the floor, on the ceiling. The, the bulletproof glass between me and the guy behind the thing was like a foot thick, little tiny window he'd open and close. And so I said, oh, I'm so-and-so. Do you have my white car? Let me see a license. Show my, oh, yeah, we got that car. It just came in. Can I have it? Sure, $205.62. I said, what? I said, you've only had the car for 15 minutes. I know we had a tow. It was a big deal, you know, 205.62. So, all right take out a credit card. I usually don't carry $205.62 in cash. And while we're at it, why do young people not carry any cash? That's another question. We'll answer that in another sermon, I guess. So I say, I don't have $205 in cash. Here's my credit card. Oh, our credit card machine's down. (laughs) Have you heard this one yet? You're going to have to get cash. Well, I don't have cash, and I don't live at 40th and Girard. Oh, there's a grocery store right across the street. Why don't you go over and give them your credit card and see if they'll give you $205.62, come back with the cash, we'll give you the car. I go over to the grocery store, they laughed at me. Yeah. Oh, did Lou send you over here? Yeah, we don't do that, we don't do that. I go back, I say, look, I don't live around here, they won't give me the cash. Let me try the card. Maybe the machine's up and running now. Yeah. Oh, lo and behold, miraculously, the machine was fixed. $205.62 was now taken from my credit card. I signed the paper. Then I go out to get the car. It was another whole deal. Uh, People must not take too kindly to having their cars towed. Because here's how you get your car. You go out and stand on the sidewalk right next to this thing here. See that little steel door? You stand there. Eventually, the steel door rolls up. Your car is inside, but there's another steel door on the other side that has been rolled down. They, uh, They put the side up on the inside, drive your car there while the front door is down. Then once your car is there, they all get out in case somebody's going to get shot. They lower that one, open yours, you take the car after you paid the bill. I very happily paid the 205.62. <laughs> yeah. Uh, retrieved my car and completed the tour in South Philly. I redeemed my car from captivity, right? I repurchased a car that I own. I had to pay a ransom to get my stupid car back. 205.62. That's the picture. And what Paul says is, because of sin, we are imprisoned. We're captives. We're stuck. And the price to get out is not 205.62. It's a lot steeper than that. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Well, there's another thing we're going to look at. Paul also talks about transformation. And transformation is important because sometimes we often think of salvation in very egotistical terms. We often think about salvation. What does it mean for me? What do I get out of it? And I'm not saying that's completely wrong. But salvation is much bigger than me, much bigger than you. It's much bigger than human beings. Look how Paul says it in verse 10. 
to be put into effect, this salvation put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. But what all is involved in salvation? To bring unity to all things. Not just you, not just me, not just people. All things. Things in heaven and things on earth. All things under Christ. As we were singing this morning, I was reminded of something that we talk about periodically. And that is that everything in our world is deteriorating, running down, and moving toward destruction. Isn't that right? I was reminded of that a couple days ago because my favorite golf shoes have now have a hole in them. In fact, when I wear the golf shoes now, I love those shoes. They ruin every pair of socks I wear with the shoes, but I can't give them up yet. Figure a few more rounds, I'll be able to make it, right? My good God, they're, they're gone. They're on their way out. Oh, yeah, and so are you. Not your stuff, you. Just when clothes begin to become comfortable, they either don't fit it or worn out. Your car, it's on the way to the junkyard, right? Everything at your house is falling apart all around you. Everything's deteriorating. But what Paul says is, when the times reach their fulfillment, Jesus will return. There's the consummation to this salvation deal. And then everything gets reversed. Sin brought deterioration. Sin brought everything winding down. Sin makes the, means that things are in chaos and moving toward destruction. Salvation means one day Jesus will reverse the deterioration clock. And all things will grow younger, stronger, healthier. There won't be the deterioration and move to the grave. There will be the growth and move to the sky in the new heavens and the new earth forever. Not just you and me, but all things. That's amazing, isn't it? So what are some of the benefits we get? We get adoption. We get redemption and transformation. That's not a bad deal, right? What do we bring to this deal? Nothing. We bring nothing, and we get those benefits and lots and lots more. But that kind of raises a question then. How do we receive them? Like, how do you get that? I'm, I, I hope you're not brain dead and you're sitting there saying, well, I'd like to be adopted. You know, maybe by Bill Gates. No, no, by God's better than Bill Gates, right? I'd like to be adopted. Um, I would sure like um, to be uh, redeemed. I, I would like to be transformed. I mean, my body's kind of winding down. I'd like to look forward with a positive prospect of everything becoming unified and a beautiful cosmos under the direction of Jesus. I'd like that. How do you get it? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what the sentence is about. In fact, it's almost as if Paul doesn't want us to miss it. Yeah, he knows we're hard-headed, right? He knows it's, we're dense and we don't get it. So look how many times he tells us how we receive it. First of all, he says, it's in Christ, verse 3. It's just in case you missed that one in verse 4, he says, it's in him that you get it. And just in case you missed the first two, he says in verse 6, it's in the one he loves. And just in case you missed that one, we've got in him in verse 7. So how do you get all these benefits? They're in Jesus, and when you get him, you get all the benefits. See, it's not that the benefits come separately. When you get Jesus, you get all of those things. So let's turn it the other way. If you don't have Jesus... You don't have any other benefit of salvation. If you have Jesus, you have every benefit of salvation. I remember one of the first object lessons I had uh, 
I had a, a, as a new Christian, uh, this guy took a pen. I don't have a pen. I'll take a piece of paper. Took a pen and he said, um, now uh, there are a lot of benefits you get in Jesus. And he put a you know, paper in his Bible and he gave me the Bible. He says, now when I give you the Bible, you also got that paper, right? I said, yeah. He said, well, when you get Jesus, you get all of the benefits that are in him. Um, they, some of you know what that's like. Some of you uh, ladies have been to baby showers, right? You've been to one of these? Thank God men don't have to go. That's all I say. Um, but uh, sometimes I see gifts that are making their way to the baby shower. And I'm not sure if this is kind of a typical thing, but here's what often happens. Um, ladies going to the shower that are creative and want to be very beneficial and give gifts that are very practical, they'll get a really big basket. Right? Have you seen this? And what, ladies, what do you put in the basket you're taking to the baby shower? Lots of stuff, right? You put lots of stuff the new mom is going to need. When the mom takes the basket, she gets all the stuff in the basket. She can't say, well, I'll take the wash rag and the baby wipes. I don't want that other stuff. Take that basket home. No, you get the basket, you get all the other stuff. If she refuses the basket, she gets nothing. New moms, they don't do that, by the way. They, they get everything in the basket. That's kind of what Paul's saying. It's in Christ. It's in the one he loves. It's in Jesus. It's in him. That's where all the benefits come. We actually have a picture like that in our world. It's called marriage. Marriage. Uh, that's how it works, right? Um, let me create a scenario for you. Suppose this guy and this girl are getting married, and I'll just create a story. The guy through his life has been pretty much of a derelict. He's made lots of poor decisions. He's massively in debt. He has all kinds of problems in his life. Don't ever ask me what she saw in him, but they're getting married. He has debts and problems, and you know, he has no money. He lives on the street, you know, something like that. Now, the woman he's marrying, however, she is incredibly rich. That's why I said, what's she seeing in him? I don't know. Um, she has businesses and properties and homes, and she lives in this giant mansion. She's got a giant bank account and all kinds of, you know, stocks and bonds and equities. And they come down. You want to know something? As soon as they say, I do, and sign the paper, that derelict is now wealthy. <laughs> because in that marriage, they are now one. All of his debt, she now pays for. All of her wealth now attributed to him. They are one. And here's the great news. When you're in Jesus, all that he deserves and all that he's earned and all that he is becomes yours. And all of your debt is taken by him forever and ever. And in Jesus, we are incredibly wealthy, rich, and glorious. That's amazing, isn't it? It's all in him. You don't have him. You have nothing. If you have him, you have everything. Well, what was the price for this deal? I didn't ask Karen Nate, but here's my guess. That adoption didn't cost Tegan anything. I'm guessing it cost Nate and Karen pretty pennies, don't you think? What did it cost to get my car from Lou Blum? 20562. That number's riveted into my brain, right? I'll never forget that. 20562. What does the transformation cost? Huh. Well. Paul tells us. Here's what he writes. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Last week we talked about the turning points in Jesus' ministry. And we looked at five, remember? Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, judgment. 
because of Jesus' mission and all the turning points, all of those blessings of adoption, redemption, and transformation become ours. Not 205.62, not any number that you could write from your checking account or your bank account. The price for this was the life of Jesus. And he voluntarily paid it to make us his. That's amazing, isn't it? Well, how do you, uh, how should you then live? Well, I mentioned earlier that Tegan should, as she grows and as she grows into all the benefits that are now hers in the Durstein family, my guess is she'll live with allegiance, faithfulness, and love. How should we live? Because we've been adopted and redeemed and we're being transformed with faithfulness, allegiance, love, and service. You know, there's a a theme that keeps running through that whole sentence. Here's one way that Paul says it. To the praise of his glorious grace. Is that the theme of your life? That's one telltale sign. Um, I don't know about you, but the switch flips easily in my life where it kind of becomes all about me and what I've done and what I'm doing and what I've earned and what I've performed and what I'm building and what should come to me. That's not a very good sign because if we're continually focusing on the benefits, we'll be pushing all of those compliments, all of those thoughts aside, and it'll be about God's grace, not about my doing. So here's the key. Are you still living on the performance plan of what you're doing and what you're achieving, what you're deserving, what you're earning? Or have you flipped to the grace mechanism? Where now it's all about what God's done. It's all about the benefits that you've received and don't deserve. The benefits that are yours in him that you never earned and can never earn. What's your life mainly about? Is it about what you're building and what you've done? Or is it about what Jesus has done and you just being the beneficiary and the recipient of what he has graciously given to you? Not a bad sentence, huh? I'd give you a little challenge this week. you got a few hours before we'll get together again. Why not pull out Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Read it through a couple times. Take a couple of the other benefits that we didn't talk about and play with them in your head. You think about them. Think about all the blessings that are ours in Jesus. And the more we focus on those things, the more we'll live our lives in response to them. Faithfulness, allegiance, love, and obedience. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks for all of these benefits that we do not deserve. Adoption, redemption, transformation. Jesus, we thank you for voluntarily paying the price that we could never pay, And Spirit, we give you thanks for beginning the work of transformation in us and promising that it will be completed. And now, Spirit, would you help us to allow the praise of God's glorious grace to be the center of our lives? Now let's live out of that center. And let's give rather than seek to always get as we continue what Jesus started in our world. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you'd like to check.